Welcome to episode three of the Running on Ohm podcast. This is your host, Julia Hanlon, and I'm excited to have Rebecca Bachico, international yoga teacher, writer, and runner on the podcast. Rebecca is the creator of the popular yoga and wellness site, OmGal, which draws upon her 18 years of involvement with yoga. In this episode, we discuss how Rebecca found yoga, her relationship with athletics from playing Division I collegiate field hockey to running the Boston Marathon in 2009, and her ability to find balance as a yoga teacher, runner, and writer. Lastly, Rebecca shares the inside scoop about her upcoming book to be published by HarperCollins and where she sees the future of yoga in another 18 years. I hope you enjoy the show. Oh. Hi, Rebecca. Welcome to the Running on Own podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Hello. So we're sitting here at, in Rebecca's beautiful apartment drinking tea, and I see around me lots of yoga books. <laughs> so let's jump in. When did yoga start for you? How did you first walk into a yoga classroom? I was 16, which was a very long time ago. <laughs> And yoga was not so cool and not so mainstream. So this is now, uh, I'm going to be 34 next month. So what is that, 17 years, 18 years ago? I've now been doing yoga more than half my life. Wow. It seems wild to say that. So um, yoga wasn't very mainstream, but I had a friend who had an older sister, and she was in college, and she was one of those people for me um, whom I thought of as just, you know, like the bee's knees. I, I thought she was just very cool and inspiring, and I knew that she did yoga. And I think that is what piqued my interest. But the funny part is I walk in, and I'm on Cape Cod, which in the winter is largely, you know, a retirement community. <laughs> um, and all of the other students in the class were not only my parents' age, but my they were older than my grandparents. Oh I mean, my. It, was, it was basically senior citizens. I, I kid you not. And um, I loved it, which is funny to me that at 16, I would be in that environment, supposedly standing out, like out of my element and yet feel so comfortable. And I think it was just a credit to the teacher, first of all, who didn't make a fuss over how young I was. She didn't ooh and ah at me and say, oh, isn't that cute? How did you hear about yoga? Like she just let me do my thing. And it was a very gentle style of yoga, quite mm. different from what I now teach. But it was enough to light the spark. You know, it was enough to pique my interest then and to really keep me now involved for 18 years. And it's taken many different forms over the years. So when I went to college a few years later, I got heavily into Ashtanga, which is a more vigorous practice. At that time, sure. at that time, as I'm growing up, yoga in the States is growing up a little bit too. It's, it's kind of, you know, hitting its stride and it's getting more popular and you can find it more places. And so I'm getting more serious and yoga is getting more available. And it was just a fun momentum. And I began teaching in college um, before there were even certification programs to take to become a teacher. I mean, I really just started casually while I was on this program called Semester at Sea, out at sea on a boat. And um, I, that was enough to really keep me engaged and, and keep me learning. And I graduated school and, you know, I had a, a nine to five job in, in a creative field in marketing, but I would teach yoga at night. I got um, turned on to Baptiste Power Yoga. I practiced here in Boston. I quickly became one of Barron's teachers. 
and uh, on and on. So it's been a long journey, but it started way back, and um, I still love it as much and, and more as I did then. Wow. And so before yoga, I know you, you were an athlete and you are still an athlete. Mm-hmm. How did those two things yeah. complement each other, and what sports were you involved in? They are two of my great loves, you know, yoga and sports, yoga and athletics. Um, and they've informed not just my life growing up, um, but also now my work. I work with a lot of athletes. So I, you know, as a kid, I, I ran track and I played field hockey for a time. I played Division One field hockey in college. I was a big swimmer also in high school and a lifeguard. And um, But frankly, I was a better runner than all of it. <laughs> I should have just stuck with the running, but I really, I loved the team environment of playing field hockey. So I pursued that one a little bit harder, um, and, and went with, you know, recruiting options and college options where that was more prominent. Um, and, and I, I scaled back on my running for a time as the yoga was really amping up, ramping up. And now, you know, it's, we've gone through many cycles running and I, and, uh, it's been a long love affair. And, and now I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty well balanced with both. Um, you know, yoga is my livelihood. And so it really does feel good to get out of the studio and go for a run. It always will. I mean, not just physically because the muscles used are so different, but also the scenery for me is important. It's nice to be outside. Um, I wrote a post last year about how, you know, people talk about running as meditation and, for me, it is in a way, but it's also thinking. Like, I'm not trying to quiet my mind. I'm, I'm going to go there. Like, I'm going to let my mind go there. I'll have the angry conversation that I wish I had with someone. I will brainstorm something. I'm not necessarily trying to quiet my mind as I would sitting on a meditation mat. Like, I'll let myself percolate a little bit while I run. Like I'll think about things. I'll sing. I'll talk. I'll, you know, I, I get to kind of enjoy myself and, and be a little bit freewheeling that way. So I need that. Very cool. And so for you, is running more of your own thing or do you do running with other people? Are you doing races? Do you have any upcoming races that you'd want to do on your bucket list? Um, I, my next race is in a few weeks. I do the Falmouth Road Race every year. Unless I am like physically unable or out of the country. I've I've only missed, I think the first one I ran, I was 16 or 17. I've only missed two or three. And I've been literally out of the country or I had preseason in college one year and I had to miss. So that one for me is just huge. It takes place in my hometown. It's 10,000 people. It's just. It's historic. It is an iconic race. It's just so much fun. Have you done it? I haven't, but I would love to. You've got to. It, it's just, it's just great. It's a beautiful course. I mean, it's usually hot as hell, <laughs> um, but I never miss it. So I'll do that next. And that for me this year will be just kind of a fun one. I'm not going to crush any goals, but um, you know, I use I do it in under an hour, a little bit under an hour, and you know, I'm happy with that. It's 7.2 miles or something. Awesome. And then we'll see where that goes. I'll see how I feel after that one because. You know, there may be another marathon on the horizon. I just don't know when. Yeah, I don't know when. I haven't picked my spot yet, but I'm getting the bug. I'm getting the itch. Um, You know, my sweetheart is a running coach, and and so I do run with him. And 
you know, obviously I can't keep pace, but we run socially. <laughs> I'm his easy day, you know, like when he's just <laughs> getting the junk out of his legs, but um, he'll run with me. And, and I hit the track like once a week now. And that's great. Yeah. So I work in the speed. Yeah. I try and do a speed day and a long day, you know, I'll run two to three times a week. Um, if I can. And, and we'll see, like I said, in the next few weeks, I'll run Falmouth, see how I feel after that, make sure the knees still feel good and have a little hop in them and then maybe plan out a half or a full in the next, you know, half a year or so. That's exciting. Yeah. And you've done the Boston once before. And what year was that in? 2009. Okay. Um, and it what was, was the experience? Yeah. Yeah. It was, Boston is a very, very hard first marathon, which everyone told me, but you know, I, I, I thought about it in the sense that if I only had one shot at a marathon, I'd do it in my home city. You know, I, sure. I contemplated for a little while, maybe I'll do Chicago, it's flat. And, you know, people said good things about a lot of other races that don't go uphill for like, you know, five miles after you've been running for 18 miles. Um, but I, I decided that Boston would be it. So I ran with a friend, we raised money for a charity. Uh, it was extraordinary. I mean, it's something that no one can ever take away from you. Wow. You know, you wake up the next day and you're a marathoner. You've done it. And for some people, myself among them, that, that means something that, that feels a certain way. And, and it was a goal. And, um, you know, you certainly test yourself. You certainly do meditate in that sense because you can't get ahead of yourself. You have to be in the moment. Mm. If you're at mile two, your brain can't be at mile 20. It'll be very, very difficult if you're at mile two you gotta just be at mile two and then you can be at mile three and then you can be at mile four um so I, I had a great experience but I did unravel a bit in the hills and I, I you know I ended up really really falling off my pace I in the end was dealing with an injury and and didn't quite realize the severity of it so it took me a little while to bounce back and fall in love again and and now I'm I'm back and I'm I'm ready to do it right and and like I said I mean I'm training much better now in that way like I I am hitting the track I wasn't at that time I I do a little bit more strength work and I'm a bit more balanced and I think that's important that's great yeah can you speak to me a little bit more about that balance what that looks like are you a foam roller does acupuncture help you yeah yeah you know it's whatever works um but I think the main thing that I've learned um is that if you want to if you want to run fast you got to train fast so that speed work has been pretty paramount to getting my legs back and I'm naturally a sprinter like I'm not naturally a distance runner but unfortunately there are no like track meets for a 34 year old woman <laughs> has been you know running the 200 meters like that I don't have those options so I you know I stick with the Falmouth Road Race and <laughs> do my best but um it's it's fun for me to run fast it's fun for me to get a little bit of kick in my legs do some hills from time to time um, yoga is always my core though. So the yoga is always the mainstay and then the running, you know, I pepper in the running throughout the week and then to keep me healthy, I do rely on a foam roller heavily. I, um, I love yoga tune-up balls. Jill Miller developed this program called yoga tune-up and there are these two like massage balls that you can place along your body doing yoga poses and, um, kind of sustaining compression you press them into an area that's cool. tight you kind of hang out there you breathe you 
you know, scowl, <laughs> you wince, you whine, and then, and then you feel the knot release a little bit. So I do that. Um, yeah, I, I eat really well. I could sleep better. That's the thing about being a writer. You, you don't probably sleep as much as you should. At least I don't. So writing is your other love. And I know right now you're working on a book. Mm-hmm. I'd love to hear about that book or about what you're able to share about it. <laughs> it's classified. No, <laughs> I'm totally kidding. It's not classified. Um, it, it will be my first book, and I will finish the manuscript likely this fall, and it will come out published by HarperCollins sometime next year. And uh, it's called Do Your Own Thing. Mm. And it's essentially a guide for the modern yogi. And it's not necessarily a yoga practice book. I think there's enough of that out there. Mm. I think there are plenty of great, great books that have the nuts and bolts of how to align your poses and um, how to do yoga well, how to practice it. This is a little bit more of what yoga means and how it can add meaning to your daily life when you're not on the mat. Because let's face it, for most of your life, you're not on the mat. So how can you take the backdrop of yoga and make it apply to your life when you're, you know, starting a blog or, you know, taking exams or in a difficult conversation with your boyfriend or your family or whatever? Like, you know, where, where does the yoga, where can you lean on the yoga in those moments and, and how does it inspire you and support you? Wow, that sounds really exciting. I can't wait to see. Yeah, it's an, how that will it's an offshoot of the blog. So, you know, I started much like you. I started my blog just with the idea that I wanted to put something out into the world. And I, you know, had this mini personal goal of I want to write more. I knew I wanted to write a book at some point, but I didn't have the map quite yet. I just knew that writing a little bit every day or, or putting something into the world with that voice that I wanted to share would help me and it would start to crystallize things. And it did. It really did. So it's exciting. And how are you finding time to balance writing, running, yoga teaching? Yeah. How, how does your balance of the work? I mean, I'm very lucky now in the way, cause I have been in moments where it's really hard to juggle and it's a sad hard irony that I'm helping people balance and I feel out of whack right I've had that experience I need to be totally upfront about that and honest I'm human um right now I feel like I'm very blessed and lucky that all my loves intertwine really well and it doesn't when I have a big hard day that's very very full I often feel like, well, this is a good problem to have. You know, like I have difficult days too. I, I had one this week where I couldn't write a coherent sentence to save my life. And I, I was just, you know, tearing my hair out and eating everything in the fridge and like couldn't get it together. And then sure enough, the next day I, I put something together and, and worked double time. And I, I really felt great about what I was doing. That's just the nature of creativity, I think, in the creative process. 
so right now I'm lucky. My, my, my work and my play coincide a lot. Like I, I mentioned, my, my primary relationship is, is with a, a great guy who's a running coach and a surfer and loves to do things that are active and we'll take our bikes and ride them over to Cambridge and have a great meal. And so that's really, really fun. Um, and my friends too, they overlap with my worlds a lot and we spend time together that way or they'll come over, I'll cook them a healthy meal and, um, you know, you got to really focus on what's important and, and let some of the rest fall away. So yeah, not rocket science, but it's each of us do it our own way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And in, I'd like to get back to the writing process when do you do find time to write and have there been any big mentors for you in the writing process like someone you can call up and can be your sounding board right well right now I'm lucky that it is my job more or less I I um I now have a publisher and so I'm able to carve out days that are writing days when you're getting started and you don't have that and you're in the earlier stages of putting a proposal together, you're just going to write a book and self-publish, you have to pick your spots. And when I was doing that, like I said, I started the blog to as the litmus test. Like, okay, let's start this, see where this goes, how do people respond? And I would write late at night, honestly. I, I, I had a full-time job at that point. Um, so I would, I would write late, or I'd write like one day on the weekends, I'd pound out a few posts. Um, over time I've been able to adjust my schedule so that I have like a writing day or, or a slot of hours in the afternoon where I can write. Now, as I mentioned, it's more of my, my livelihood, my job. So I will, you know, like today I, I wake up, I'll get out of the apartment, out of my home office for a little while, get a change of scenery, get a tea. Sometimes I go meditate at my meditation center and then I come back and I think of it as my commute, as silly as that sounds. <laughs> like I leave the apartment, I come back to the apartment, I sit down, and I just lock in. And I try my damnedest to avoid Facebook and Twitter. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, the, it very much is just the discipline of, like, putting yourself in a realm that feels good and familiar and has given you inspiration before and, and staying with it until that inspiration arrives and just do it and do it and do it. Even after, like I said, you have a day like my Tuesday this week where stringing together anything feels impossible. It's going to happen. You got to just keep rolling with it. So my process is, is, you know, to find the spots that really work, um, to set aside big chunks of time. I don't work well sporadically. It's hard for me to, for example, have a meeting in the middle of the day or, or go teach a yoga class, come back to something. So with you, for example, you're here in the afternoon. I had the whole morning to kind of get my mojo going with running. My people, my writing supports are crucial. Um, I'm, I have an agent who's awesome. And so in some cases, your agent sees what you write, but not necessarily. I'm lucky that I have one that digs the subject matter, knows yoga really well, and gives awesome feedback. Very pointed, very direct. And then I'll share it with a few other people, depending on what it is. If it relates to like, if it relates to running or it relates to yoga texts or say it relates to philosophy or anatomy, like I'll send it to someone who I know is really key with that subject matter, you know, but you gotta, you gotta choose carefully because you don't want too many voices. 
right? My, my brother is a, a CEO and a co-founder in the tech world in New York, and he was in a mentorship program where they talked about the dangers of um, mentor whiplash. So you can imagine what that means, right? Like you don't want to share your work with too many because then you have too many voices taking you in too many different directions. Yes. So it's finding out who leads you back to you. And that's the beautiful thing about Catherine, my agent and, and my friend now, who always gets me to find to write more like Rebecca. Mm. Because you know, it's such a trap and it's so seductive to write like someone else who you think does it really well, or you know, I see other yoga books out there, but I I, I can't do that. I'm not gonna write a great book if I try and make it like someone else. Um, I was really lucky. One more mentor. I found this woman named Priscilla Warner, who's written a couple books, one called the faith club. And she wrote it with, um, a Muslim woman and a Jew and a Christian woman. She's Jewish. And the three of them wrote this book. Very cool. Yes. Yes. Very cool. And she and I struck up a friendship, although we hadn't hung out in person much. And I visited her last month on the vineyard and she just sat with me and read some of my stuff and totally gave me like a good, you know, shakedown of like, this is good. Like refocus. I was feeling a little bit, um, scattered or marooned and she just really turned me right back in the right direction. And she said something that was awesome that I I really love. She goes, stop trying to write a brilliant yoga book. And I'm like, my ears perked up. She said, just write your book. I'm like, ah, yes, that's it. Right. Like stop trying so hard to write this perfect yoga book. It was paralyzing me. Um, when I start to talk to her, when I was reading to her, I would, I found my voice again. I'm like, Oh, okay, here's my book. No one's going to do this better than I am. And that's what you want to give people is a piece of you. Cause no one's going to do it the way you are. Um, we all run into trouble like that, right? Like it's like the teenager and all of us trying to be like the crowd or trying to be like the cool kid. And you gotta, you gotta, you know, temper that temptation, pull yourself back. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. I'd love to go back to yoga and hear from you. One of the most powerful moments you've had on your mat. Oh my. And you're 18 years? Eight, yes. Well, am I doing the math wrong? Let's do the math correctly. I am no mathematician. So <laughs> this will be 18 years. When, when I turned 30, because it started at 16, right? Yes. So 16 plus 18, 34. Okay. All right. <laughs> Should we get a cut? We're like of the iPhone generation. We can't even figure it out. Because I remember when I turned 32, it was my yoga half-life. Oh, that's cool. (laughs) Yeah. So, and now I'm 34. So 18. Yeah. So, okay. In 18 years, a big, the biggest moment, my gosh. Or one moment that stands out to you. On the spot. Trying to think of one. On your mat. So not when teaching. When I've been practicing. Hmm. I might have to come back to that one. Feels like such a big question. So then let's put it in reverse. What yeah. has been one of maybe the proudest moments in your teaching? Oh, I have them like every day. I, I'm 
that's the great thing about teaching anything, I think, not just yoga. Um, I just think being a teacher is a beautiful thing. Every day there's something. You know, from the simple, simple scenario of I'm, I'm with a student in his home and he's new to yoga and he's doing a twist and he kind of jokingly peers over his shoulder in the twist, looks back at me and he goes, you know, I know this yoga is working. I said, yeah, how? Like I know something funny is coming. He goes, because when I used to turn around in my car, I could only see two children. He has three children. He said, now I can see all three children. <laughs> and I just thought that that was so delightful, right? Like he could now turn a little bit farther and peek at little Cleo smiling at him. And, but I also think it's a great metaphor because it's not just that he's able to rotate his body more, he's able to notice more. And that I think is the really special thing about teaching yoga is the giving people tools to notice and become more aware. And it's not just the physical exertion of a pose, but it's their life. It's spinning around and seeing your third kid's bright, shiny face and being able to register. Oh my, like what, what a little treat, you know, because life is tough. It's hard for everybody. And, and you need to find those beautiful treats every single day to keep it special and inspiring and, and make it meaningful when, when things can be, you know, so hard. And here in Boston, we've had our share this year. So that, that's just like one small little anecdote about, you know, the awareness you give people and the tools you give people. Um, I had, I had another one just weeks ago where this woman, uh, with whom I started working again, privately in her home, uh, realized how strong she'd become. Like she'd always been thin, right? And looked, appeared fit, but was a little bit fragile, like n not necessarily strong. And now she's holding her own body weight. She's doing handstands. She's really, really strong. And she said that she noticed it because she was able to lift her son up into his bunk bed, Aww. you know, which I thought, it, like, again, it's another parent's story. You know, they're a little similar in that way, but just people living their lives with a little bit more strength and grace and, and they share it with you, which is... So very cool. So powerful. Um, you know, after the marathon this year, it was very special to give people a place of solace, whatever that amounted to. Um, you know, that Thursday after the race, I taught in Watertown at Inner Strength, the studio at which I work regularly. I've been teaching there for years. And ironically, that studio had also been through a fire the month previous uh, and had been closed for most of March. And then it had reopened. Uh, and so we were back. It was my first class back. And it also happened to be after the marathon. So people were just in emotional turmoil, but also feeling grateful to get back to their routine, whatever that meant. And then wouldn't you know, hours later, there's like the firefight in the street in Watertown, because that's where yeah, it you know, the bombing suspects were, were discovered and hiding in a boat. I mean, he's hiding in a boat streets away from the yoga studio. But I can honestly say that in that week of absolute stress and turmoil, teaching that yoga class was the one time I felt relaxed. Mm. It was the one time I felt like myself. And I think cause I was being of service and I was being honest with people about, you know, what was up. Like I, no one was going to pretend that everything was okay, but we could be together. We could breathe. We could set an intention. We could pray. You know, you could use the space for whatever you need. 
You can sweat if you just want to get in and get a workout and feel some semblance of routine again. Sure. You know, so that, that was a very special week being a yoga teacher. It was hard, but it was also really, really meaningful to me to just open up space for people, um, for runners also. I did a little meditation prayer circle and then my uh, boyfriend led a run around the common and you know and these were like serious runners that had just run the day before and here they were doing three miles around the common just to be together for sure um and they were like seriously affected even if you were safe I mean by all means you know some of them felt guilty for being safe um so it, it was special to, to offer whatever semblance of normalcy or peace I could, you know, and make it about whatever the community needed. So those are very meaningful teaching moments. Those are, and those are all, like, within the past three months. So. Yeah. Are, right? <laughs> so scaling back, you know, going back 13 years of teaching, 18 years of practicing, it's really hard. Well, and where do you see yoga in the next... 18 years from now. Wow, that's an excellent question. <laughs> that is such a good question. Um, you know, I, I think it's been interesting. It has really boomed and really diversified. It has. Really boomed, really diversified. So there's a new style cropping up every day. Um, I think it's great. I think it's great whenever people want to grow. And I think ultimately that's what it's about. And so whatever gets people onto the mat initially is a positive thing. It might be because they want to lose weight or, you know, they like the music or something. Fine. It doesn't matter. But I think the really exciting thing, and I hope that we'll see more of this, and I have a suspicion that we will. Uh, I mean, I hope. I'm going to try and write and sell a book on it. Is is more of the other aspects of yoga and, and how they can help us beyond touching our toes, you know, because people know yoga when they see it now, even if they don't do, they don't do it, they see downward dog in a picture and they're like, Oh yeah, that's yoga. So I, I'm really, I'm really hoping. And I think this will be the case that more people will, for example, start to meditate. That's also been very buzzworthy lately. People know that there are huge health benefits to meditation, stress reduction benefits. Um, and you know, traditional medicine is understanding that as well. We all have this under, we all have this knowledge, this acceptance that most illnesses are stress related. And so what are we doing to nip the stress rather than treat the symptoms of the sickness? And so meditation is key and you don't have to be, um, able-bodied to meditate, right? Like you, you can be, um, in a hospital bed and you can meditate. Um, you can, if you can breathe, you can do yoga. It's just that we don't see enough of those other yoga opportunities. So I'm hoping that there will be more yoga opportunities beyond the physical. I think we've really like hit a crescendo with how acrobatic it can be. We've matched it with martial arts. We've matched it with acrobatics. We've matched it with hip hop. We've, you know, we've kind of merged it with a lot of different things. I'm hoping now we can almost uh, broaden our perspective and hone in on some of the other qualities of, that are less physical and more mental and, and more spiritual because I think people need it. Is there one yama or niyama that you're really working with in your own personal sadhana practice? 
one? Uh, I, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say that I prioritize so much one over another. I think it's a day-to-day thing. One um, that I'm definitely more conscious of is uh, brahmancharya, which we usually translate to mean abstinence or celibacy, and we usually assume it has to do with sex. And, and I don't know what kind of podcast this is going to be, but <laughs> that's not what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, you know, I value that. That's fine. But it's, I think of it more as energetic mm-hmm. and your creative energy and how you spend your energy. Because, you know, I can be a little frivolous with my energy and overcommit to certain things. Yeah. So, you know, if you think about it creatively speaking or if you want to play the metaphor out, it's being promiscuous with your energy, right? Like, do you just say yes to everything? Or, you know, at what point is saying no more important because it will give you the opportunity to say yes to something better? So that's sort of like managing of energy, Um kind of reining myself in is something that I, that I think about. So that's my yama. What would be my, my niyama, I would say, um, is faith, Ishvara Pranidhana. So like just, I've been thinking a lot about faith and having faith and surrendering to Mm. God. It's often translated as surrender to God. And, um, you know, but if you, if you talk to my best friend, Cynthia, who's quite funny, she'll just say, I'm giving it up to God. You know, that's, that's her way, like her letting go. And I think that that's a good one of like knowing when to let go to something bigger than yourself, whether it's, you know, whether you think of God as a man named Jesus or a part elephant God named Ganesh, or just this higher power that you feel when you're out running, you know, oftentimes when people are in nature, they feel better connected to a higher power. So whatever it is for you. Yeah. So, you know, lately I've been thinking more about my higher power and surrendering a little bit and trusting that there is a plan for me and that, um, I can let go a little. Mm. Yeah. So awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Before we close, I have a few final either or questions to throw at you. This sounds fun. (laughs) Apples or oranges? Apples. Juices or smoothies? Juices. Mountains or oceans? (gasps) Oceans. That's so easy for me. (laughs) (laughs) Early bird or night owl? I'm a night owl. So that's a wrap, Rebecca. Thank you so much for making the time. It was truly a pleasure. Thank you. It was such fun. Good luck. Um, thanks for listening to episode three of the Running on Om podcast with international yoga teacher, writer, and runner Rebecca Pacheco. Check out runningonom.com for links to Rebecca's sites, including her famous blog, omgal.com. This is your host, Julia Hanlon, and I hope you have a beautiful day.